the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. And his friend and sidekick, Jacob. How you doing, Jacob? Good to see you. Uh, Welcome, everyone. How? How? <laughs> Scrambled. Over easy. Let's see here. Uh, we are glad to have you along, folks. Thanks for being with us this fine evening. Um, we are going to look into, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to continue our conversations about the Gospel of Mark tonight. We are in the New Testament in terms of our reading schedule, making our way through the um, second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, and then we will finish up. Uh, in fact, we finished reading of Mark this last week and started right back into the Hebrew Scriptures, going back to, uh, we've read through the 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 um, Pentateuch now. We've read through the, uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and we are going to begin picking up in the book of Joshua as the people of Israel now, following Moses' death on the east side of the Jordan, we discussed that at length, and uh, very soon now, after uh, 30 days of mourning and uh, the passing of Moses, Joshua takes up leadership, and they will cross the Jordan to go into the Promised Land and to begin then to uh, battle. They're going into war, uh, the seven years of, of pretty hard war, seven or eight years, and then after that, there'll be a time when each of the uh, each of the tribes work and, and, and struggle to clear out their particular uh, allocated uh, 
regions of, of the uh, of Israel of the Promised and Land. May I add? Sure. That is the only land war that the Jews have ever fought in. There's never been a war that I know of. Sure, as I say, somebody will say, what about this? But uh, there has never been a war that I'm aware of, certainly not in the Bible, where the Jews have been involved in land conquest of anywhere but the land of Israel. But the but the promised land, yeah, the land that... That's because there's a commandment. Did you know there's a commandment? There's two of them. Yeah, sure. But Go it's, ahead. it's the one about you shall not take other people's lands. And secondly, you shall not move boundaries. All right. Because so those those lands, this is interesting thought. And it actually says that what I'm quoting actually has, it says, because God gave those lands to those people. So it's a, so if Israel is given to, let's say, Jews, mm-hmm. and that's from God, well, the, God gave the other lands to these other people. So you'd be going against God, you see, in the commandment to take their lands. Yeah, there is a wonderful passage in the Psalms, and I, and I, I can't remember it exactly. I'll have to do some research on it. But I had a really good friend. Uh, uh, yes, some research. Uh, a really good friend named Guillermo Luna was the national director of the Ministry of Campus Crusade in Latin America. Right. Uh, not the director, but the administrator. And he came. Uh, he was part of our ministry here in San Antonio for many years. I believe Guillermo and his family are now in Florida. Uh, Florida. Florida. I'm sorry. I went oh. to Spanish there a little bit. But they... Uh, he once gave a study on the movements of people groups and their movements and how the that God controls and has guided that process and that he brought up that point that you have mentioned that the, that the nations are where God has placed them, God has given them certain that's lands right. for these different people that's groups. Right. I think that's he mentioned why, that. Actually, the one I recall <laughs> is that you shall not uh, take the land of Edom, you know, Esau, mm-hmm. because God gave that land to them. That's their land. And so you, as holy as the idea of Israel is to be given to the Jews, it's as equally as holy as other people's lands belong to them. Whoa. What a hit, huh? Yeah, yeah that's kind of interesting. And like, hmm, from a Native American point of view, it's kind of kind of interesting. We Maybe like we should come go to back Thanksgiving. to Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, we have to rethink this thing. Thanks for giving us land. Yeah, man. yeah. Well, anyway, we are uh, going to be looking at passages from Mark chapter eight through sixteen. Now, Mark is uh, it is evidently it was the first of the Gospels to begin to circulate. It was written by John Mark. We. Went through this last week, writing uh, particularly uh, from the memories and recollections of Peter. Um, and we talked about where John Mark figures into the early church there in the early mm-hmm. um, the missionary stage, uh, early missionary stage as the gospel, uh, this message about Jesus, the Messiah, broke out of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world there in the first century in the, during the, in the Roman Empire. And so Mark is this young man who um, gets uh, stripped naked there in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested. Uh, it is believed that he is the one, the young man that's mentioned there. But uh, his gospel is very interesting. His writing and uh, the memories of Peter evidently were the first to begin to circulate. And uh, some of the other um, books uh, that might have used it as reference as well. But the gospels are very interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are not 
history as such. They weren't written to be exhaustive histories. They were more like paintings by four different artists. They were different portraits of the life and ministry of Jesus, and each one from his different perspective. Uh, some of the times they described uh, the same events or the same uh, uh, occurrences, the same meetings, the same people that they <clears throat> each of them would view from their own perspective and it, with their emphasis and so on. Uh, so you kind of got different, um, how would you say, different painting, uh, different, uh, what is it when you paint a picture of an individual? It's a Mm. Portrait? A portrait. Yeah, these are different portraits of Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, and uh, okay. they're not they're not going to be exactly the same. Each one sees, hears, interprets, and experienced uh, uh, Jesus and his teaching and so on in their own particular way and emphasis. They're, they're no incredibly gripping or, or substantive uh, contradictions or conflicts, but there are different uh, emphasis in some ways they tell some of the story. We can talk a little bit more about that, but uh, we're in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, Mark talks about, <clears throat> at least it's it's our understanding, Jacob, as we r- read the New Testament, the general understanding is that Matthew was writing primarily to the Jewish people. He was presenting Jesus, the, the basic portrait presented is Jesus the King, the one who, who you know, as was, was put on his cross, uh, uh, this is the King of uh, the King of the Jews, <coughs> the Messiah, the Redeemer, in that sense. And of course, there's a lot of reference to and he, As you said, he was put on the cross, right? Yes. Well, the other day I stopped at a traffic light and I looked across, kind of cat a corner, mm-hmm. and I saw a company. Oh, I hope nobody gets mad about this. I saw a company called Lumber Liquidators. And I thought, well, the first lumber liquidators were the Romans. That was a lot, they did a lot of that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's that's the theme of Matthew. Mark here, supposedly the idea is that it presents the portrait of Jesus essentially, not uh, this is a general characterization of the of this, his viewpoint, but as the servant. Mark uh, presents Jesus the servant. It, they, we see him continually meeting person, people after people, uh, individual after individual, meeting needs, healing, touching lives. It, it's a it's very touching and very powerful uh, portrait of the Messiah uh, who goes about interrupting funerals <laughs> by raising the uh, the the dead and. and and healing the sick, and, and so on. And we'll see a lot of that as we uh, comment about chapters 8 through 16 tonight. And then Luke, uh, being a physician, the only Greek writer, uh, non-Jewish writer in the New Testament, uh, both of the Gospel of Luke and the book of the Acts, uh, Acts of, of the Apostles. Most, uh, I like to refer to Acts of the Holy Spirit, but uh, he, those two books were written by Luke, a physician who presents the portrait of Jesus the man, Jesus uh, and his humanity uh, responding and living out the life of faith as the perfect uh, man of faith and obedience and trust in the Father. And then John uh, is a more, more theological of the four Gospels, it seems, in that sense, uh, presenting the idea of Jesus, Son of God, his uh, the, as incarnate, uh, eternal Son of God, made flesh. And so you have those those I, basic I characteristics. I like that word incarnate because you know what that's really saying. It means in the meat. 
Hey, he's in the mix. <laughs> he's, he's here with us, yeah. Uh, in, in, in La Encarnación del Mesías. Del Hijo de Dios. Yeah, that's right. Well, here we go, uh, Mark chapter 8. And also, we, we read the first uh, five chapters of the book of Joshua, and I think we can uh, spend a, a little time on that later in the, oh, in the program next as week, well. Next week in Joshua, oh, everybody ought to listen to this, because I've got something to share that's right out of history, and it's actually in the verses of Joshua, but it doesn't come up till next week. Have I baited it correctly? Yes, you've done it very well, and you even told me before the program that, all right, next week I'm going to tell you something oh, you've not heard before. So I'm getting used to that. I'm hearing things that I'm, hmm, this is a perspective. This is a, 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 a part of the passage that I haven't heard this kind of perspective before and that's that's why we have Jacob along with us he is invaluable to us as uh, Gentile believers we we've been grafted into the, the to the people of God and <coughs> followers of Jesus the, uh, the Messiah then we are we're grafted in we're part of Israel now we've been made according to the New Testament according to Paul and so uh, Jacob is helping to give us that perspective of the scriptures that <coughs> quite often we miss as Gentile believers. We we take our English versions of the of the Hebrew scriptures, the old the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and we just read them and read through them, and we can make. It's not like no, no, it's not like sense. you can't make sense of them. Of they're, you they're there. But uh, a lot of uh, as we can peel back some of the layers of the onion and understanding the scriptures better, when we understand the culture, the language, the history, the traditions of the Jewish people that 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 went into these writings. And so Jacob is helping to uh, to make that clearer to us. And and uh, sometimes you tell me stuff that I go, well, that's way out there. I'm going to have to think you about know, this. We were talking about. The the definition of brothers earlier and i finally got what you were saying that yeah if a person is shall we say grafted in a convert shall we say mm-hmm. then they are fully considered a brother so i just got what you were telling me because you were, were talking about the word brothers uh-huh. and you said hey you know i like about he says uh we're, you're reading this taking this from what the book of revelation uh, the revelation of, uh, actually right? matthew 25 Ma- oh good and so when he's saying something about oh yeah that's uh, right. my brothers mm-hmm. and you were making Making the point, well, what if somebody's grafted? And I just understood what you're saying. And yes, if somebody is part of or grafted in, they are considered 100 percent equal to anybody else. They are brothers. Now, okay, in that passage in Matthew, huh? Yeah. Okay. And so you're right about that. I, I didn't quite catch your saying, but I just I just understood. And the essential idea there, folks, and we can talk about it further, is, is that Jesus seems to be saying that uh, people will be judged. Uh, now you're talking about, if I remember correctly, this is the judgment: the the goats, the sheep, the sheep and the goats, and that basically that distinction is made on the basis of how people treat well, the people said, of God, I, I how people realize his brethren. Thinking, you know. Yeah, and, uh, and and I finally <clears throat> realized it because I'll tell you what: there is a quote unquote Jewish law that, and you're going to find this remarkable. Let's suppose a person converts to be Jewish. The law, the Jewish law, is that you do not have the right to ever bring up to that person that they were never not Jewish. And if you say it, if it's a good rabbi, he'll pull you aside and say, don't you ever say that to them again. That is so... You are not allowed to bring it up because they are 100% 
converted. They're in. There's no. And they're not lesser never. for having been uh, uh, for might, a, a converted instead you of a might born. Find somebody that wants to talk about that. Now the person <clears throat> owns their own life. And if I want to talk about it, or you want to talk about it, and if somebody's a convert, they want to talk about it, that's up to them. But the other party does not ever have the right to bring it up to them. And I have heard a rabbi say something to somebody, said, hey, he pulled him aside and said, don't ever say that again. You cannot ever bring it up to him that he was not born a Jew. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? So that goes along with what you're saying. If they're grafted in, if they're a convert, if you will, then they'd be considered a brother. So I got what you're saying. That's kind of interesting in the light of the whole attitude toward adoption, you know, that sometimes I, I guess, well, one for sure, another image we get from the New Testament is that those of us who have come to faith and uh, trusted in, in in Christ, trusting in Messiah to for this to make us right with God, to be part of the people of God, that we are um, that we are adopted into the family of God. That's another uh, that's another image that's used, and that um, an adopted child. Sometimes there's a great effort made to show that an adopted child is no less a child than the native-born. Well, In even, fact, that they say that sometimes they even have. They could not be disowned, whereas... A, a, As a matter of fact, uh, I believe under Jewish law, I believe under Roman law and American law, that a child that's adopted is 100% equal to any other child in the family. Right. And and my understanding, at least maybe of Roman law, I'm not sure about uh, Hebrew or or, or the Jewish law, but uh, that uh, an adopted child cannot be disowned, cannot be cut out of the will, that even though a, a natural born child can, but then that adopted child cannot, which is kind of an... I've heard that preached or taught somewhere. I don't know the basis of it right off the top of my head now, but uh, talking about the power of this spiritual adoption that evidently has taken place as as we are brought into the family of God through through our faith in God's redemptive plan in the Redeemer. So anyway, all of that are very interesting. We can talk about many of those things. Uh, if you have a question or thought in your mind about the Bible, about its significance, about its meaning, uh, you can certainly give us a call. We're going to talk about all things biblical here for the next hour or so, and uh, especially uh, focusing on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, now, when you looked into the Gospel of Mark, Jacob, I'm assuming that there were some questions that really popped out at you that would be super interesting. I wanted to look at the experience of this, um, <clears throat> for one, this man who is healed in two stages. That's always oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you've you've told me the story of that and the background of that so many times that I I, I really enjoy that. I, I enjoy that passage more. I think I think the 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 Jewish view of that particular miracle this is the only person folks that it took jesus in a sense we'd say it took him two times i have heard this explained from christian preachers well you know sometimes it's a process sometimes you got to do more than once now if that's true then i have to settle no offense but i'd have to settle on the idea that just couldn't quite do it so i had to do it more than once uh i don't think that would be correct as i understand the gospels as Uh i understand uh, your procedure and your concept of Jesus. So, 
Uh, I think he could that it heal took him two times. Us. Why did it take Jesus two times uh, uh, to heal this fellow from his uh, from his blindness in, uh-huh. in Mark chapter eight? So we, I'd like to talk about that a bit. Uh, there were so many. Why did Jesus say to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan"? It's so interesting to me. Peter later on is very interesting. Peter has a unique experience with uh, with Jesus. Uh, evidently, he's the older uh, the oldest one among the disciples. I'm not quite sure of that, but I. I kind of get the idea that he is, and there's some basis for that, or some basis for thinking that he was the older, probably the older, the only one 20 years older or over. Because remember the time Jesus had to pay their taxes? They were asked one time, why don't your disciples have to pay the tax and so on? And so he told Peter to go down and find a fish, and he found a coin in his mouth and that sort of thing. That story, I know I know you have a little different take on that story too. But I do. The, but it was only Jesus and Peter uh, evidently, who had to pay that temple tax, which would mean that they were the only two that were twenty years old and older. So that's where they get the idea that that Jesus, uh, that Peter was perhaps the oldest of the uh, disciples. But the uh, I, I prefer the line that goes like this, which I take certain amount of liberty and credit for in developing. <laughs> blame would be uh, the blame, word. I, guess. Um, <laughs> I would say that uh, I think Jesus is saying, "I will pay taxes in my Father's house when you get money out of a fish's mouth." <laughs> Well, there would be something to that saying as well, yeah. Well, uh, and they did get money out of the fish's mouth. Well, the the point though is that Satan, uh, um, Peter, had several occasions. It seems like to me, was it several or well, he did have some occasions where in this particular passage in, in Mark chapter what was it, Mark chapter um, eight. P- Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, uh, which is, well, of course, he's addressing Satan. But uh, in the context, it, it's Peter who said something. And, and, uh, and so we want to talk. I would like to talk about that. What what was Jesus talking about? What, why did he respond so harshly to Peter? And it's so interesting because later on in his epistles in the uh, first, second, third, uh, first and second Peter, Peter refers to Satan as a roaring lion who who goes around seeking whom he might devour. And so uh, I always think that maybe Peter was thinking of this experience, uh, what he learned in that moment. Uh, I always have this illustration in my head that Jesus holding up his hand saying, talk to the hand, talk to the hand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a a, a little harsher than that. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. That would be uh, – that would be – it seemed like pretty harsh at the moment, but uh, so the question is what what was going on there why was why was that such a harsh thing to be said to uh, Jesus at that particular time, perhaps in his life and ministry? Do you have some uh, areas oh, those I, uh, are the first yeah, yeah, yeah. two questions I wanted to kind of okay, focus that'd, on that'd tonight be great that'd be great and uh, one of the stories one of the first things I read when I began reading the mm-hmm. New Testament is a story that I really, really enjoy in Mark. Would oh. you like to know what it is? Yes. I thought you might. I would. It's chapter 9 of Mark. That chapter as a whole is really, and you've got a reference to the Well, sure. Uh huh. But that question, that's one of the first things I caught. When I first caught I said, I know what this is talking about. And then I was so excited, I started talking to people who read the New Testament for a living. And I, they didn't seem to recognize what I recognized. <laughs> for the first time, you said, hmm. Yeah, I said, well, wait a minute. You've got a whole That's, different perspective yeah, of this. There was, uh, one of the first two things I remember reading when I was reading the New Testament is Mark chapter 9. And then I guess it was Matthew 22 when they were picking the grain as they go through a field. 
And I thought, well, what's wrong with that? The law, it's clear in Deuteronomy, you go through a field, you can pick the grain. What's the problem? You can't harvest it, that's stealing, but you can eat. And I thought, why are they complaining about that? That is God's law. Anyway, but Mark chapter 9, this story is such, to me, an intriguing story. Are you talking about the trans- transfiguration? Uh, I'm talking about, well, that's part of it. But see, if you if you tend to read this thing in isolation, what happens is you read that and say, okay, I got that, and you go on. That's not, actually, the way I put this, Though this came down through the Greek and then the Latin and the English and whatever, uh, you can still and so those different languages. What I kind of refer to as the flesh, uh-huh. but the skeleton of Jewish literature is still there. So I I look for the skeleton of the Jewish literature, and the Jewish literature's skeleton is the whole chapter of Mark nine, and uh, when we get into it. I'd like to kind of reassemble, you know, the arm bones connected to the other bone, you know. Yes. Um, I wanted... Uh, um, well, that's what sounds like a juice. Look, yeah, here here we go. Uh, we have to take a break. But according... In, in, uh, um, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I'll try to get spit it out here. No, no, in Mark chapter there's 9, there's like something very spit? interesting about that to me as well. Is that uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 1? And during the break, I want you to look at it and uh, see if you figure if that figures into this experience of Jesus uh, transfigured and glorified in their presence and to their in, in their eyesight and with Moses and, I, and Elijah there with them. Uh, so stay with us, folks. Come back and uh, join us here right Somebody after this break. In. Let's talk about Mark chapter 9. All right. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. If you lease office, retail, or warehouse space for your business, the last thing you want to do is overpay the landlord. But it happens every day. Hi, I'm Scott McMurray and president of Bottom Line Realty Advisors. We work with business people who want an effective strategy for their next real estate decision. Whether leasing or buying, it affects your bottom line. Your landlord has representation and you should too. Even if you're a good tenant with no plans to move at all, you're the most vulnerable to getting a really bad deal. We only represent our clients, never landlords, so we have no conflict of interest. We stay on your side. Call me, Scott McMurrian, at 210-535-7800, and we'll negotiate from a position of strength. BottomlineRealtyAdvisors.com Bottom Line Realty Advisors We get the landlord off your bottom line Billy Graham is in his 100th year of life. Through the years, Mr. Graham has been a faithful friend to several U.S. presidents. Here's what he had to say about some of those leaders at an event in 2007. I'm very grateful for the friendship of those wonderful people. Former President Bush, former President Carter, and former President Clinton have been longtime friends that I knew long before they ever went to the White House and have been entertained in their homes many times and love them all regardless of politics. 
Politics wasn't the reason for Billy Graham's presidential friendships. They were simply a result of living out the biblical command to pray for and support our leaders. We need to pray for our president and for those in authority, as the scriptures have told us. Learn more about prayer and the Bible at findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. I believe Noah built the knock of wood 120 years I believe Elijah never died. He caught fire from heaven on a mountainside. I believe, I believe. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, we are back, and we believe as well. We hope you do, too, and that you'll join with us tonight. We're looking at the Scriptures, the Gospel of Mark tonight. So let's kind of dig into some of these. Yeah, if you have a thought a or would like to address some of these issues, let's uh, let's talk about it. First, let's jump into this this one who has to be, uh, it takes two times to get him healed. Uh, in uh, Mark chapter 8. Doesn't that trouble you, Soapy? <laughs> The idea that it took him two times? Yeah, because, I mean, ever since I've ever heard this story, you know, basically from the Christian world, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I'm told I should hear about. Uh-huh. sounds like, why can't he heal the whole guy? It's sort of like one of the questions about why did God, one of the great questions in Jewish thought and literature is, why did God use ten plagues in Egypt? Why? He could have used one. Yeah, but so when I heard the story about Jesus took twice to heal this guy, I thought, what does this mean? He can't quite do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, that, yeah, me, I've heard it explained a lot of different ways since uh, childhood, of course, and, and uh, memorized a great number of these passages. Well, and I've always do, looked I'm at that. Defend and Jesus hmm. because I think he could do it in one, and I think it's us that's not catching. That we're not getting it right. But I, I always had a little trouble with it. It doesn't seem to make sense. And of course, uh, all the different explanations I've heard over the years it's always somebody else's fault you know it wasn't it wasn't jesus fault it was well he didn't have enough faith or this or he was trying to teach his disciples that that sometimes there's a process involved and so on so on watch out for those jews they'll always do that (laughs) well i didn't say anything about uh, what are you talking about i didn't say anything about (laughs) jews um then uh, okay let's the the basic story is some people brought a blind man to jesus And uh, this is in Bethsaida, which which is a... Oh, what does that mean? The Bethsaida. The, uh, I don't know. What uh, you do? Bread. Well, no, how, no, Beth no, I know. That's Bethlehem. No. Oh, that's... Bethlehem. So Beth is the house? Beth is house. That's why you have temples and places where okay. they call Beth El, house of God. You know? uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I get that. House of God. Bethsaida. Saida. Uh, what is Beth? House of, uh, it's a little fish. Joy. A little fish? Yeah, see? And you got the story about him taking a boy's little fish. He goes, two for the little fish. He okay. Feeds. Two cider. Yeah, and the other <laughs> All right. place is also. Okay, so here we are. Isn't Beth, was Beth cider where Mar- Mary and Martha lived? 
Uh, this I do not know. Okay. But I right. know that they didn't give out their phone numbers. All right. Okay. So we don't know the actual street address there. All right. Well, anyway, let's just say they're alive in this, they arrived in this village, um, and some people brought this blind man to him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand. Oh, I like that song. Is that a song? Yeah. Put your hand Hand in the hand of the man. Actually, I do like that song. Uh, And he led him out of the village. Out of the village. This is interesting. And and then he spit on the man's eyes. And he... And he said, uh, what do you see? Can you see anything now? Picking on a blind guy. What's going on? And the guy says, well, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. And, of course, you have reminded us that that is an imagery that is very biblical, this whole idea of seeing people as trees, one part that's visible and out in the physical world, but the other part that's unseen, uh, the spiritual dimension. uh, It's it's below ground level. Okay. And so uh, you... You, you kind of taught it. And there, Psalm 1, uh, blesses Psalm the man one, who... Psalm 4 yeah, and 5. Yes. He's like a tree planted by the waters and so on. And there are other passages that use that imagery. And in so, Deuteronomy 2019, <clears throat> it refers to men being trees. Okay. And so the guy says, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Ah. And then uh, Jesus opened the uh, put his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. But uh, and, and we, you can talk about that about what was actually going on. There was a spiritual conversion. It's that this man said, "I I now recognize the spiritual uh, the dimension of of life and men, and I see men now as spiritual mm-hmm. beings." Um, maybe you can address that more clearly. But I'm kind of intrigued by this last word. He says, "Don't go back into the village on your way home." Mm-hmm. I, I wonder. Where that might come from? Is that some sort of a little innocent sort of thing? There are a number of occasions when Jesus heals people and he says, don't tell anyone. Don't. And I always have had a little bit of curiosity. I've got a few ideas about it, but I've always had a little curiosity about why were they told not to tell anyone? Why is this man told no, not to go back in the village? You know, the people there had brought him out to be healed. And uh, Jesus is saying, don't go back in the village on your way home. Uh, maybe you have an insight or a thought about that at I least. I have a thought. doesn't make it right. I don't have really insight, but just a thought. Maybe you have a thought I can disagree with. That would be Well, fine. that was always helpful. That was Actually, helpful. I find I play pool better when a person opposes me. Yeah, right. Uh, um, makes the, sense. Uh, you know, it, I think this is one of the villages up by... Uh, the water, and mm-hmm. I think there were ten of them. And I think they were called Decapolis. Is it uh, this on the east side of the? I believe it is of the of Galilee. Yeah. Okay, and so these are Roman-controlled little villages. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And if he, and I'm guessing that if he goes back to the village, I mean the word will spread that Jesus is out here doing this kind of stuff, and the Romans is going to get their attention on it. That's okay. what I think. Uh huh. Uh huh. But I could be wrong. But no, uh, very possible. I, I would say. But I know the Bethsaida business is about the little house of fish or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do know that he. Uh, and you're right. It's an old Jewish lesson, a proverb, if you like, that men are like trees. They exist in two worlds. Above the ground, we can see the the tree, but below the ground, where the roots are. 
That's like the spiritual world, and we can't see the roots. So when the man says in verse uh, uh, 824, he said, I see men walking like trees. Well, trees don't walk, but trees are used as a euphemism for men. And men, as trees exist in two worlds, it's understood that human beings exist in two worlds. They've got a spiritual side that you can't see and a physical side that you can. So I read the story that he's saying, oh, man, my eyes have been open. I can see that human beings have two parts, an animal part and a spiritual part. I get it. And he says, okay, now I'm going to close your eyes the rest of the way so you can't see the spiritual part anymore, only the physical part. So don't go back to the village. Just live live the physical part and do the right thing. Hmm. That is a perspective. So would you say it was right then that this man evidently, uh, there was a step of faith here in that he accepted this, Mm -hmm. that, that this, the spiritual dimension, the spiritual reality of life, and is that what? Uh, and, and the first time you told me that, I thought, well, that would come. That would amount to, to some degree. That would amount. The, yes. Was this a man who, who kind of denied the spiritual before? Well, I couldn't perhaps? answer that, but I can't answer this. That I hate. To, I hate to say this, but I might as well because the truth is the truth. There was a tradition among the Jews. Oh boy, I hate to say this. Probably everybody's listening now, right? Uh, <laughs> Well, that, maybe yeah. that the spit. It's like a car wreck. We're all going to rubberneck here and see what uh, it is you the, hate to there say. There was a tradition that the spirit, the spit uh-huh. of the firstborn child had certain healing powers. Now, it's obviously folklore, mm-hmm. and I hate to say it, but it's still the truth. And, uh, and the truth must be said. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyway, so. Here he is doing this, but let's take it one step more deeper, shall we? Mm-hmm. Uh, people are made out of dirt. Mm-hmm. Well, this man is blind for since birth, so you might say Jesus is mixing the, the spit with the dirt and making mud, and Adam comes from Adamah, the earth, so he's making him eyes, because people, human beings are, made out of earth, mm-hmm. so he's making eyes out of earth for the man. Is that where we get the expression, uh, I, can, I, I, I can see you, it's clear as mud? With the, that could be one, <laughs> don't keep your dirty eyes off my window. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, um, there there it is. There's some thoughts on that. If you have a, a thought about this, this blind man, uh, uh, very interesting experience, uh, Very several very interesting things about the whole idea of... Uh, Taking two times, uh, the idea of seeing trees as men walk, uh, like actually men as trees walking around, and uh, the the biblical imagery that that calls forth from our minds from, from the Old Testament. And like and so I on. say, when I first read that, I mean, I knew exactly what that meant. At least I'm sure. At yeah. least I thought I did, and I'm pretty sure I thought I did. Um, but it was because it's such a generally well-known antiquated phrase that people are like trees. They exist in two worlds. Yeah. I, I, although I knew about those two different passages, I know about Psalm, I know about Deuteronomy, and I know about that imagery that comes from the Hebrew Scriptures. I never put them together. I think that's one of the problems that sometimes we have as uh, Gentile believers, you know, as we've been grafted in, that we don't 
we don't establish those links as clearly as probably should be or could be established between the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and the New. There there are some very clear links, and every time I'm exposed to them, whether they're in the scriptural text itself, mm-hmm. and sometimes the Bible actually makes the link for us. Uh, the book of Hebrews, for example, is full of those where it, it recalls the passage. It refers you to the passage in the Old Testament where the, they're, right. they're making an uh, they're giving a, a, a different perspective of the uh, of Messiah, the, uh, the, the work of Messiah, based on the Hebrew Scriptures. And, and of course, the Gospels do that, too, sometimes. Verse 26, tells him, do not go back to the village. Uh-huh. Perhaps the answer can be found in verse 15. It says, and he was giving orders to them, saying, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod. Mm-hmm. So, where are they that's there in the village. And because Herod, contrary to popular belief, was not Jewish. He performed function as a Jew, you might say, but he was actually an Edomite. Uh, Edomenian, I believe they translated to in English, but he was Edomite. He was from the descendant of Esau. In fact, one of the interesting things that people don't realize, everybody knows the temple was destroyed by the Romans. Now, that's certainly a serious thing. But approximately one and a half to two and a half million people were also killed in 70 A.D. in the streets of Jerusalem when the temple was destroyed. But the Romans did not work alone. They had one group that was allies with them. Do you know who it was, Sophie? The Moabites, the Edomites. No, the Edomites. Yes, that's what you meant to say. (laughs) And Herod is an Edomite. That the Edomites, descendants of Esau, actually worked with the Romans. So the Romans did it, and the smaller assistants, they had a much smaller, less smaller army, but they also worked with the Romans. Mm-hmm. And so they, they were in control, and there's a reason uh, why Rome placed guys who were not Jewish in charge of the country. And there's a law in Deuteronomy that you shall never have a king over your country in Israel that is not Jewish, and Herod is not. Mm-hmm. And so they violated that law, but they put him there because Herod would then be more allied and have his allegiance to Rome, mm-hmm. not to uh, to the Jews. In fact, every morning, this is an interesting side bit, every morning after Herod took over, Caiaphas, who was not a Levite, by the way, he at sunrise, he'd have to come to Herod's palace and pick up the priestly garments, the chief priest garments, right? At mm-hmm. sunrise, well, mm-hmm. and then he had to return at <clears throat> sunset to Herod's palace. This is history. So, everybody got the idea who controls the temple was Herod. These guys that were running the temple, like Caiaphas, they're not Levites. So, how did they get in charge? Because they too were appointed by Herod or by Rome. So the real Levites are out of the temple. Now we have in this period of time, uh, in the time of Jesus here, right. a unique situation where there were. Evidently, there were actually two high priests. Uh, there was occasionally. Ananias, uh, this, uh, if, if I, and I'm not sure I've got this relationship correct, but Ananias was the an father, older, he was the father-in-law, father-in-law of Caiaphas. There you go. And that they had pretty much booted Ananias mm-hmm. and placed his son-in-law, Caiaphas, in the role right. of, that was, because that was the, the Roman appointment. That's because uh, who had appointed Ananias, that you're 100% right. He had an allegiance with a Roman governor mm-hmm. who was displaced. 
And so when a new Roman governor come in, they want their own people. And somehow Caiaphas, he married up, you might say, because he married Ananias' daughter. And he got the job. And you see, now I'm going to tell you something. That's, boy, hang on. Put your, put your seatbelt on now. <laughs> I'm used to that. I always buckle up before the program. <laughs> You're familiar with a story uh-huh. uh, called, and I think it's actually, I think we passed it last week, but it's uh-huh. okay. Mm-hmm. It's about so-called the rich young ruler, right? Yes, and Lazarus? No, 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 the rich young ruler who uh, who said, uh, what is the greatest commandment? And all these commandments I've kept from my youth. He said, go and sell all that you have and follow me. Yeah. who was the rich young ruler? It's Caiaphas. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. That's why he's young. Now, you've never said that before to us. You never told us that little tale. That's true. I probably haven't. But then I I don't tell you everything I know. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, eventually you do, uh, pretty much. Well, I want to jump back to something else. John's telling me I don't have enough time. Okay, I want to jump back to. <laughs> I understand. I want to jump back to. You said that this particular event, Bethsaida and so on, takes place on the east side. It says in verse um, thirteen. Uh-huh. What does your say? It says he embarked and went away to the other side. And so that he's already been over in Decapolis. Okay. And so there it says he went back to the other side. Okay. I didn't think Bethsaida was on the east side of the Jordan. Okay, and keep reading. But the disciples had forgotten to bring the and food. They'd only brought for bread, right? And they, as they were crossing the lake, watch out, as they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus, what are you arguing about having no bread? I wasn't talking about bread. Don't you understand even yet? And so uh, that's so. Uh, don't you remember anything? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets did you have left over? Twelve. When I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets did you left over? Seven. Don't you understand yet? Maybe you can unscrew that for us if you'd like. But when they arrived in Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they, I wish I had my map you gave me mm-hmm. to see where Bethsaida. I thought Bethsaida was on well, the. Well, we'll check it out. Uh-huh. Whatever it is, it's somewhere in Israel, right? All right. Yeah, but tell me about that. About what was he talking about? About the uh, five thousand. Oh, well, see how many baskets they had. Uh, Twelve, and he the four thousand. How many baskets? And he said well, seven. Look at eighteen. He says. Now yeah. the four thousand was over in Deca- Decapolis, right, in the Gentile region. The, tw- the 5,000 was earlier in, in Israel. I believe that's true. Okay. And it says in 18, he had Jesus says to these people, having eyes, do you not see? Well, after that, and it, see what? The seven loaves, the five loaves, and mm-hmm. suddenly he heals a real physically blind man that can see. Mm-hmm. He can see. What's Jesus says, how come you guys can't see this? That people are both physical and spiritual. So that's the point? That people are both physical and spiritual? And then he heals the blind man who's physically blind, and he can see men walking as trees. They exist in two worlds. All right. So we're st- with the, we're, you're sticking with that theme. Well, I, I, <laughs> so that, that seems to be the common element through those uh, passages. I'm still looking for Bethsaida here. I'm going to uh, find it. Okay. Uh, should, should we go to a break? While you're maybe, no, no, we couldn't do that. But anyway, okay, so... Um, so he's staying on that theme of the spiritual. The, uh, many people have uh, heard interpret that passage on the basis of uh, 12 baskets. That, that was done in Israel with the idea of 12. That was 
a reason identifying the 12 tribes. Mm-hmm. And then the 4,000 on the east side among the Gentiles, that, uh, how many baskets were left over? Seven. And that somehow had a, a, a lesson about uh, Gentiles and Jews somehow uh, well, in that in the number of baskets of right. leftovers that came about. Uh, and there's 12 baskets. Yes. Maybe this will help. In Deuteronomy, uh-huh. each portion of land of the 12 tribes, they got 12 portions of land, right? Mm-hmm. And what did they bring to the temple? They brought the produce of each of their portions of land, and they brought it in a basket. And Deuteronomy explains this. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the portion of land that, say, Ishakar had or Asher had or Judah had, that portion of land, that was, you might say, their basket. So they took their produce from that portion of land, their their basket, there's 12 baskets. Mm-hmm. And they put it into the basket, and they bring that basket to where? To the temple. Temple. Uh-huh. And uh, is there any holiday that you can th- possibly think of where the Jews must be keeping that particular contribution to the temple? Dun, 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 ding. Yes, you guessed it. <laughs> and it may be, and it comes from Exodus chapter 12. <laughs> yes, he says, I guessed it, but I, I'm still looking around going, John, do you know the answer to that question? What 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 festival was it? Was It, it wasn't. Passover. It was Passover. Passover. Oh, yeah, that's oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's oh, right. Yeah. Okay, I forget yeah, yeah, yeah. my holidays. See, I knew you, know. you have so many, I, I, I get them well, mixed uh, up. Right, yeah. Okay, it was Passover. Uh, okay. So, what you've got is now you have to keep Passover, right? Yes. All right, so they're bringing baskets. <laughs> so, we know what day this is. Uh huh. Yeah. And to bring it, their portion of land is their basket, a gigantic basket. Hmm. But they put out the produce of the land in a basket. So that took place in Israel. So the, uh, the other miracle of feeding the 4,000 well, took place that comes on Decapolis. In, uh, in, in, yeah, yeah, in chapter in we're Mark. just reading about. Chapter, chapter, does that come in in Mark? Chapter 8, I, I believe well, it is. Is it 8? That's what we've been talking about. I thought it was always a beautiful. He he just came back from uh-huh. the east side when they arrived at Bethsaida. Uh, yeah, chapter eight starts with the feeding of the four thousand. Now, our yeah, and that's on the far side. And then they came, it says they came back okay. across. So I'm, I was only saying that because you were saying that Bethsaida was on the east side of the Jordan, and uh, it said that they crossed back over to Israel the, onto the west side. Okay. So Bethsaida would. I was trying to find where Bethsaida is. Okay. Well, we'll we'll, we'll have a, somebody explain that to us. They'll call and tell us. No, Set us right for sure. Uh, but here's uh, so here's the idea: Are non-Jews in the Bible, allowed to participate in Passover. Oh, here's... Uh, sure, of course. Of course, of course, of course. There was a court of the Gentiles. There, there was a... There They're was allowed a, to the do temple. Passover, but let's go back to Passover, the origins. Are they allowed to do Passover? The answer is yes. So they can. Yes, they of can course, participate. yes. participate, uh-huh. Sure. In fact, back in uh, Exodus, chapter 12... And it, I it's anybody who put blood on the yeah, door yeah. seal, right? That's and right. And and if you even if you remember the movie, Charlton Heston, who's uh-huh. from the same part of the world uh-huh. that I'm from. Uh-huh. Uh, he was Moses, though. Uh-huh. And uh, I'll tell you a funny story about that in a minute. Right. But anyway, so I'll tell you now what the heck. So right after he made the movie Moses, he comes back to the 
northern woods, in the area where I was from. And, uh, the real world. Yeah, the real world. Anyway, so he's got a little boy. His boy's name is Fraser. This is a true story. And this is the funny thing. He had just made Moses where they parted the water. And this is a true story. He, uh, he had a home there. And they had flushed a diaper down the toilet. And the pipes were clogged. And this is out in the woods. Oh, so he had to go to a hardware store, and he had to buy one of those snakes to unplug the, the, sure. the pipes. Uh-huh. And he got the wrong size, and he had to go back to the hardware store and get a second one to get the diaper unplugged in the pipes. And here's Moses that was separating the water. You see that funny comparison? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, I do. The roto-rooter there. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. I... <laughs> uh, Right, so, Somebody got a laugh out of that, at right, least, sure. uh, right, so, somewhere up in Michigan. So now, is there, uh, is there an occasion where we would have, now, if we're going to understand this, the 5,000 would be, is there anybody that's not allowed to participate, that we already determined the Gentiles can, they can, sure. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, is there anybody that cannot participate in the Passover meal, the Seder, it's called. And I'll tell you one of the cl- one of the things. If you ever see in the Gospels the word reclining, the word reclining is the clue. Why? It's the only time in Jewish understanding where you recline is at Passover. So it tells us when it says reclining, you know what holiday they're talking about. Ah, interesting. So that was the so Jesus was then uh, crucified around. Passover because oh, that was, was the, the absolutely yeah, yeah well, so, I, and of course we knew that I so think so here he is he's doing the five thousand not anyway. anybody can participate except <clears throat> one group of people what group in Passover yeah. mm. Mm, yes yes you're right again I'm so thrilled you're just so okay, okay. it's uh, it's the people who have been contaminated by oh death. sure unclean or sure. yeah okay so touching a dead yeah, person's sure. body or a relative their aunt their uncle their mother their brother uh huh. So, but then subsequent to that... In, they couldn't even touch a dead animal, right? Uh, oh. I don't recall about the animal. Okay, okay. But cool, cool. here's the point. So what's interesting is this, is that now the people that cannot participate, you go back, and I believe it's in the book of Numbers, It's uh, they come and say, hey, Moses, you know, we can't participate because of the contamination. So they instituted a second Passover. Now, that's of, right. That's right. Yeah, so I remember. The they point. were traveling or they were doing something, well, that, couldn't make that's it. That's because they handled dead bodies. Uh-huh. And then Moses gave, gave them. Uh-huh. They gave, they, it was, was it Moses? It was Moses. Oh, I thought it was another. Yeah, no, I guess it was, it was Moses. Moses. And he gave them a month later an, a yeah. second uh-huh. a Passover. Now, opportunity. Think, now, the, the Gentiles uh-huh. that are believers in monotheism, one God, they can participate. So, but the only group that can't is people that's been around handling a dead body. Your mother died, your father died, I can't participate. So a month later you have a what's called a, a shini, or a little, a little of the shini Passover. It's still, still done today. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, and they could then do the, uh, the make-up Passover. Now think of the 4,000 that way. Did it include Gentiles? Probably. But that's the second Passover because we know there's a whole bunch of people in Israel getting killed these days. Huh, interesting. Then. Okay, that gives us uh, 
something to chew on and think about, uh, uh, about those two that. different occasions. Passover is a lamb. Actually, the word Passover refers to Pesach, which is the lamb itself, believe it or not. Well, then, uh, okay, when we come back, we're still talking about some of these passages, these experiences of, from the Gospel of Mark. I, really like I want to get in chapter 9, exactly, that about this transfiguration of Jesus, this experience of seeing him uh, transfigured or, or seeing him in his glorified state. Uh, Peter, James, and John are able to see that. And what did it mean? What was going on? Uh, what was being accomplished uh, through that experience? And uh, I'm also wanting to know what what caused Jesus to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's a rather grave thing to happen at the very end of chapter 8, which leads right on into chapter 9. So maybe they go together. Stay with us, folks. 340-9585. We'll be right back. Help me see that everything I am is not all about me. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, make me aware. I, I, I've always enjoyed that song because I think it's one of the one of the really great battles we face as believers, uh, as those of us who are pursuing is, God and the relationship the with plate? Him. Is to, to <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> has nothing to do with the collection plate. Maybe, or maybe indirectly, I don't know. But the the whole point of the, the song is make me aware. Help help me to stay aware of your presence. And we get so distracted so easily into our jobs and our situations situations and our finances and our health and we get we kind of get earthbound in our thinking yeah. and we quite for the believer it's often the greatest challenge we have is to keep on believing you know to keep understanding and knowing that God is here he's in there in this situation he's with us I, I think it's one of the great values of the scriptures it could be but speaking of plates uh-huh. I should say this I have a friend named Cohen Cohen is the Hebrew word for a priest. Uh-huh. And he's from... The Kohathites, we know about, right? Uh, that'd be fine. All right. And uh, he's, uh, All right. He's, uh, he's from South Africa. Uh-huh. He grew up in South Africa. And he said he, he always used to walk past a, a, a big Christian church, going uh-huh. back and forth, and obviously he's Jewish. Mm-hmm. Grew up in a rather uh, pretty good, fairly orthodox Jewish home. And he told me, he said, when I was walking by, I always saw the stained glass windows and the pictures of Jesus. And he and he had a big gold thing on his head, and he didn't know it was a halo. A halo. He thought it was a plate, and he kept he kept wondering, you know, why does Jesus have a gold plate on his head? Isn't that funny? And he he was he's being sincere. He yeah. just couldn't figure out why he's got a gold plate on his head. I'm telling you, people have. This is one of the things I'm I'm learning is we're we're teaching uh, young men and women out at Lackland Air Force Base these. These are young adults. They're you know eighteen or nineteen to twenty five, twenty six years of age in general. Greatest young men and women in the planet Earth. I mean, they come from all over our country, and it's such an awesome privilege we have to to be with them. But uh, it, it, I, I am constantly telling our teachers: be careful of the language you use. And I I think that would be very very good advice, even for those of us those listening tonight to our program to pastors. We, those who would be teachers, those who would help explain God's word to people and try to help clarify it and make sense of it and and explain the the real sense of what what Jesus was actually saying or what Peter is actually saying in these passages, um, 
it's important. We have to make use of human language, and language, of course, has its limitations. There's no doubt about it. But but you have to be careful when you're teaching and, and preaching. The language you use, the words you use are so crucial because they give an impression. And so we're constantly telling our teachers, you know, when we're teaching, teaching about forgiveness and cleansing and redemption, we're teaching about the, the Holy Spirit and his interaction with our lives as, as followers, uh, as believers, how the Holy Spirit is working with the, within us and so on. And, and we have to be so clear about our understanding of what's happening so that our language is clear. and uh, We don't use language uh, like, for example, speaking of the Holy Spirit as an it or an impersonal force or something. Uh, the, the scriptures never do that. They always speak of the Holy Spirit in personal terms and and, and so so I, I'm all the time talking about the importance of language and uh, I, I guess that's something you, you have made me more and more uh, sensitive to as well when uh, when God says people understand <laughs> it's like the illustration you gave people understand things so differently well, he, he told me he said when he was little he's like you know 12, 13, 14, <clears throat> walking back and forth past the church going to school He'd go home and ask his mom and dad, says, why does Jesus have a gold plate on his head? <laughs> yeah, my, my, my little grandson's teaching me this. I heard a story the other day about this, this uh, lady was putting her uh, child down, a little six-year-old boy, and putting him down for the night. Uh, they said their prayers and all. Then it was a stormy night, and the lightning was flashing, and they could hear the thunder in the background and, and the rain beating against the window. And, and uh, after they finished their prayers, the Mommy said, "Okay, it's time to go to bed and mm-hmm. go to sleep now." And the little little boy says, well, "Mommy, could could you sleep with me tonight?" And, he, and she said, "No, honey. But mommy needs to go sleep with Daddy tonight. Now it's time to go to sleep." And she turned out the light, and just as she was closing the door, she heard the little boy say, "The big baby." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had his own perspective of this thing, right? You know, why does that big old man have to have mommy? I don't need a mommy for the. Well, anyway, that's um. That's people cute. have their own impressions. <laughs> And you have to be careful when we're communicating, right? That's one of the greatest skills in the, uh, on planet Earth is this communication thing. Well, let's go to do some communication. Let's talk about Jesus telling, say, talking, reprimanding Peter, and he says, get away from me, Satan, get behind me. Uh, now, the setting of this, it, it comes right after this story we just talked about where where. Uh, Jesus heals the blind man, and then he, on they left Galilee. And you were right, by the way. Bethsaida is up in the northeast. One of our listeners I texted only us. Know that because somebody texted me. Texted it in to tell us Bethsaida is on the east side of the Jordan, on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, and you know, so they say even a blind squirrel <clears throat> finds an acorn. Every now and then you get or it right. Even a blind so man sees trees walking. Yeah. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, I, I suppose they're walking along, they're traveling from one, uh, you know, I don't know, one uh, preaching uh, session or meeting guys, to another. Work. What can I tell you? And so he says, uh, he says to his disciples, who do the people say that I am? <clears throat> what are the people saying about me? I guess Jesus is wanting to know a little bit of the sense of the the audiences he's been talking to. And then, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're one of the other prophets and so on. Um I'm not trying to make light of that. Maybe you'll see something very significant in there. But then he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who always enters the room mouth first, uh, he's very uh, sanguine. He's very uh, takes the initiative. He says, you are the Messiah. 
And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about it. And that's one of those occasions that I'm kind of, it seems to be behind some of his healings. He says, now don't tell anyone. Don't. So here we, he has telling Peter not to tell anyone about him. Let's see what that means. But then he began to tell them about himself, the Son of Man, the Messiah. He must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, and three days later he would rise from the dead. And he's talking openly about with the disciples. And Peter takes him aside. Now, this is right after this grand, wonderful uh, uh, declaration that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And and Peter takes him aside. You've got to stop saying those kind of things that you're going to be killed and die and all of that sort of thing you you know in other places peter to wouldn't we won't let that happen and so on and that's the context where where jesus says get away from me satan you are seeing things from merely a human point of view not from god's and and uh what do you read into that now uh, peter is he's not understanding he understands that jesus is the messiah but he doesn't understand the role of the messiah evidently read the whole verse okay uh 32 as he talked about his this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand Jesus for saying such things. Okay. Then Jesus turned around and looked at the disciples and rec- reprimanded Peter, Get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's perspective. So Peter's saying <coughs> things, uh, hey, you know, you don't have to do this. This is how I take mm-hmm. it. And Jesus is saying, hey, man, stop looking at this as a human being. Start looking at it as spiritual. Yeah, and so uh, like I say, Peter understood the identity of the Messiah. He got that right. You are the, Ma- but he didn't understand the role, the work, the, what, what the Messiah's. I do you think maybe Peter was still identifying the role and work of the Messiah is to lead a, a, a rebellion and deliver Israel from the Roman dominion? Is that still in his mind or? I hope the, the I hope idea so. seems to be here that yeah. Peter, you don't understand. I, uh, You're looking at it humanly instead of... I, I, I hope it was on Peter's mind. And I, huh? I hope today it's still on Peter's mind. <laughs> it might be. Falling. And it should be on your mind. <clears throat> Do you know why? Because you, in, in the New Testament, you have something called the Book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Tell me, that's not Jesus coming as a warrior, as a lion, and cleaning up the mess. What you're reading in the yeah, Book sure. of Revelation mm-hmm. is the Jewish understanding of what the Messiah is going to do. Come and set things all right. So there may have been this Mm -hmm. integral step, this intermediate step that's uh taking place that maybe Peter didn't grasp. I don't know about that, but I know he starts reprimanding just as, hey, will you stop telling people that? I mean, I'm having a hard enough time getting people to follow you anyway. (laughs) Yeah, that happened too. Uh, That was another experience. And so, but you, but uh, what? I'm sorry. uh, And and so he says, you know, look, uh, and look at the book of Revelation is. Uh, everybody, there's a verse right here in Mar- Mark that says everything, nothing is impossible with God, right? Yes. Right. Well, if nothing is impossible, may I suggest that for me it's impossible, but for God, the number two for the Christians and the number one for the Jews can be the same number for God. But for me, no. All right. All right. Well, we'll look at that. Well, let, let's go back to this text because, well, okay, I'm, we... I'm, I we want to get to chapter 9, though. Herb. Okay, we're getting there. This is going to transition to it. Those la- final verses of chapter 8 <clears throat> are going to lead into <clears throat> the transfiguration experience in chapter 9. And that is that 
he, he, right after that experience of, uh, of reprimanding and correcting Peter, mm-hmm. he calls to the crowd and he begins to talk about the cost of discipleship. You have to turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for my kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul and so on? It's a powerful, beautiful passage uh, and very straight talk from the Messiah, from the Savior. And then he talks, look, um, first verse of chapter 9, I don't know why they put the, the chapter ending right there, but Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some of you standing right here now will not die before you see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. And they move six days later, the next verse, he takes Peter, James, and John, and they have this experience of seeing Jesus transformed, uh, glorified uh, in his glorified body or presence. His clothes became dazzling white, uh, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Elijah and Moses appear with him. And so I wonder, is this a fulfillment of that? prediction that jesus makes that some of you standing here will not die before you see the kingdom of god arrive Uh, i think that's the introductory theme of it but what day it's telling us six days later what is this about do you know it's giving us a time well that's what i'm trying to get to here with you Uh, talking about it is that what's this about in one sense i'm day on the jewish calendar what comes after passover um Yes, you're right again. Sukkot. (laughs) Sukkot. Or, and it lasts for a week. Uh Uh Uh-huh. And uh, so we just went to... That's unleavened bread? Is that? No. No, that's Passover. That's leading up Passover. So we just got through in Chapter 8 about feeding the 5,000. He said then the 4,000. So that's over, okay? Now, after that, we go up on the mountain, and we have the Sukkot, or what you'd call... Tabernacles or booths, I believe sometimes yeah, it's that's called. That's why Peter says, "Why don't we build?" Ah, oh, there you go. Uh, that's why He's Peter says, "Why don't we build?" Yeah, a, actually, a ta- what's going on is Peter is saying, "Hey, look," because they see uh, these two fellows appear out of nowhere. You know, Elijah uh-huh. and Moses, I guess. And Jesus is lighting up, and in and you know, in all their lives, they had never seen anybody light up like that before. And so the first thing they say, "Hey, why don't uh, we go down the mountain? We'll, we'll get some stuff. We'll come back when you're all done visiting with your new friends." <laughs> <laughs> And, and you're all done lighting up because in their whole life they had never mm-hmm. seen somebody light up and people uh-huh. come out of nowhere. And so these guys immediately say, let's go get some wood and we'll be back. We'll be back. And we'll build three yeah. memorials. Yeah, yeah. One sure, that's you, what one. we'll do. Yeah, okay. just we'll come back when you're all done lighting up. Yeah. Three shelters. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but they, so now when they, but up on the mountain, a cloud appears, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And a voice comes out of the cloud, right? This is my dearly loved son. Uh-huh. Listen to him. In other words, shut up, Peter. <laughs> Listen to what he. I like Jesus the old King saying. James way of putting this. My beloved son. <clears throat> yes, because that's more the beloved. word that means I loved him before I knew him. Uh, uh, okay. So, so now a voice comes out and he says, "What? This is my son." Does he say it's my son? This is my dearly beloved son. Listen to him. Ah. Uh-huh. 
No. So in a way, it's the first time God ever told somebody to shut up. <laughs> Be quiet, Peter. <laughs> you know, Peter goes off real quick. Oh, let's go down and build three shelters. Yeah, sure. This is my beloved. Okay. Hear him, Peter. <laughs> so they're saying, okay, uh, listen, a voice comes out of the cloud. So on top of this mountain, get the picture here. I, as I told you, I, I know this went from the <clears throat> many times the Hebrew into the Greek into the Latin. But you can still see, I think, what you call the skeleton of the Hebrew literature. Okay. Wow. So what you've got on top of the mountain, you've got a a boy and his dad. Ah. Uh, okay. Now listen to the verses. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to what? He hasn't said anything. But listen to what? Now let's read the story as a complete story. Mm-hmm. Now, so as they're, as they're coming down in verse 9, uh, uh-huh. they say, Hey, uh, Jesus, you know, we're no problem with us. Whatever you say is good because we've never seen anybody to light up before. Uh, but uh, <laughs> You like that phrase, I can yes, tell. Yes, I do. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he says, so uh, why, in the verse 11, why did the prophet say Elijah must come first? And he says, oh, Elijah does come and restore all things. And he has. And that's well, he told them not to tell anyone uh, what they had seen, uh-huh. the transfiguration, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Yeah. So they kept it to themselves, but they often ask each other what he meant by rising from the dead. <laughs> I don't okay. know what part of no. rising from the dead they didn't get, but well, I will say this. that We quite often, no, wait, we living in this era, we no, take it so interesting. Well, no, they know all about <laughs> rising from the dead. Every one of these fellows do. How okay. do we know that? Because several times in the Gospels, even Herod says, who's that okay. guy talking to me? Well, it's John the Baptist back from the dead. Okay, so there this is, is not, so okay, so they're not yeah. they're not dealing with the, the, the yeah. they're trying to actually theologically figure out what is is there a secret meaning to that? Uh, is it what's the significance of it? Is that what you're saying there? No, because it says here they're asking that, themselves. I hear this all the time, but they didn't know anything about rising from the dead. Well, it's silly. Of course they did. But but it says they often ask each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Uh-huh. So if they understand the concept of rising from the dead, I which think, which I wouldn't take for granted. I mean it's kind well, of a Egyptians knew not about many people it. Herod, I, I know uh, people know about it and we talk about it ourselves but but the idea of really someone actually rising that, that none of us have seen that uh, but but okay I, I'm giving you that but I'm saying then then what's the what's the meaning of that sentence it says they often ask each other what he meant by were they thinking what is there some secret theological meaning is there some significant religious meaning to is that what they're asking themselves? You know, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I don't know is a good answer <laughs> sometimes. Well, I know this. Now, he goes down into the village. Now, look at, here's what's happening. Now, look at verse 14. And when they come down, uh, they come back to his disciples. They saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with his disciples, right? Right. 15. Immediately, the entire crowd saw him and they were amazed. And in 16, they said, well, and Jesus asked, well, what are you guys discussing? 17. And the crowd answered him. Now, listen to what it says in 17. One of the crowd uh-huh. answered him and says, well, I brought my son, possessed of a spirit, which makes him move. And wherever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, foams at the mouth, sounds like epilepsy, grinds his teeth, stiffens him hard, and he falls in the fire, falls in the water. Now, he's one of the crowds. Now, the first question we should ask ourselves, 
Why? Was this a setup or something like exactly. that? Exactly. Okay. Ooh. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Right. So what happened is somebody got this crowd together, and they said, Hey, George, don't you have a boy that has epilepsy? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, we think that's a demon. Why don't we get the crowd together? You bring your boy over to the disciples. Let's see him heal the boy. Cast out that demon. And they couldn't do it, as it says right there. Look at 20. Uh-huh. And it says, and I brought him the boy. Oh, I'm sorry. And it says that they brought him the boy, and they could not heal him. Then in 20, they said that they brought, it says, they brought the boy to him, Jesus. When he saw him, the boy, Immediately, the spirit threw him, the boy, into a convulsion, and falling on the ground, he began uh, rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Now, I want you to picture this. This boy is having a seizure. Okay. Now, let's slow this down for a second. The crowd has been gathered. The disciples could not heal this boy. Now, Jesus shows them and says, hey, what y'all talking about? Well, we're talking about how your disciples can't heal this boy. And if he, if they're your disciples and they can't, that kind of implies that maybe you can't. Well, the first thing that happens is the boy has a seizure. Gee, but look closely. Jesus doesn't reach out and heal him. He lets the boy go on with the seizure. So the entire crowd gets to see the boy having the seizure. And he says, how long has this been happening? Yeah. To and the I, father. I just hear this word. like says, oh, wow, how long has that been going on? And, uh, and it says... Uh, it has thrown him in, both into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. Now, the crowd is still watching, and they saw his disciples fail. And uh, Jesus, he still hasn't reached him out to heal him. And in 23, Jesus says to him, If you can, all things are possible to those that believe. The first thing that had to be done was to get the Father to believe in this story. Have mercy on us and help us, the Father says, if you can. Uh And so Jesus says, what do you mean if you can? Anything is possible if a person believes. So uh, they saw the disciples file. The crowd is probably starting to think, well, the boys laying are having a seizure. His disciples couldn't. How come Jesus isn't healing him? So he's he's making, may we say, staging a drama. Okay. And uh, then he says... uh, and the 24, immediately the boy's father. Now, remember, he, he was one of the original crowd that was uh-huh. gathered together. Uh-huh. And he says, oh, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And then when Jesus saw... I've always the, liked that statement uh-huh. for some reason. Well, I've, I've identified with he, it. And the boy, you got a picture. This boy's still on the ground having mm-hmm. a seizure. Mm-hmm. And they saw his disciples file. And the 25, Jesus saw the crowd was rapidly gathering. He rebuked the unclean spirit and said, you deaf mute. He said, I command you come out of the boy. And the boy threw himself down. He was like a corpse, and he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And then he said, go into the house. His disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive him out? 29, Jesus said to them, this kind can only come out by uh, come out by anything but prayer. Now, let's stop and go back to verse... This this kind cannot be cast out by anything but prayer, or can only be cast out by prayer. Uh, now, hmm. let's go back and look at verse 7. Whoa, a long way back there. Then a shadow, a cloud overshadowed story. and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly, dearly beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to what? So let's put this picture in perspective. On top of the mountain, you got a mountain, right? Okay. You got a boy and his dad. Jesus uh-huh. is God. 
Got it? Uh-huh. And then he comes down the mountain into the lower level village. Now, when in Hebrew literature, when you ever go up the mountain, it means getting closer to God. Uh-huh. And down the mountain gets farther away from God. But God is up on the mountain where you might say Jesus... Uh-huh. The boy and his uh-huh. dad. He uh-huh. says, hey, uh-huh. this is my son. Listen to him. Well, listen to what? And so he comes down from the mountain, and he goes up to the father, and he says, wow, look at your boy. How long has he been like that? Soapy, can I ask you a question? Yes. Uh, God forbid. Let's suppose you had a son that fell off your back porch and broke his arm. Uh-huh. What would you do? What would I do? Well, uh, we got about five minutes, so you can't think too long. Okay, I would, I would uh, pick him up. We'd probably get to a hospital and get his arm reset. And Why? Why do you care if you get his arm reset? Because <clears throat> he's my son, well, and I love him, so, and I care well, about so him. So you keep talking, and you get pain. the right answer. Uh-huh. It's the, after you go through all these questions, you end up one thing: love. I love my son. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So. When he says, listen to him, Jesus was bringing from the top of the mountain, listen to him, love from God on the mountain, down into the people and saying, you mean to tell me your boy's been like this forever and ever? And he falls into water, falls into fire, and you do nothing to heal him? And when you had a chance to maybe get him healed, you brought a crowd to show that he could not be healed? What he's saying is, you don't know what love is. What Jesus brought down, what God was saying is, listen to him. He's going to teach you how to love your children. Well, I'm, I'm can't, I cannot argue with that in the sense. I, I don't know if every every individual. I do have questions still, but I that know, is I'm, a I'm wonderful hurrying, lesson to be learned. because we got two minutes. He's now. teaching us to love, but so but there. But when he okay. says, "Listen to him," what he's doing is bring mm-hmm. down, and he says that while the boy's in the in the on the ground having this seizure, this fit, and he says, "How long has he been like that?" And the father's one of the crowd says, "Oh, ever since he's been a boy, falls in the fire, falls in the water." And the truth is, if you love your child, you don't gather a crowd to show he cannot be healed. What you do is you take him wherever you got to take him to get him healed. That's love. Interesting. And that's what very, very Jesus good. is being told. People listen to him. He's bringing love from God down to you on how to love your children. It's a powerful passage. I mean, you know, if you tie all of the different aspects of the passage together, it makes perfect and sense of all of it. Oh, well, it is. Hurry, That's all the time I we have. have. To hurry, cut off a bunch of stuff. And that ties into the theme that you remind us every week. Every week. I'd like to say, remember, always be the kind of parent person you would like to have for a parent. All right, folks. God bless. See you next week here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.